Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast. Today is episode 13 and I catch up with Kyla Prince. Kyla Prince is a drag queen trapped in a ceased woman's body, a performing woman who is performing woman under the stage name Dee Dee Queen. Dee Dee Queen is rewriting her story, disrupting diet culture and taking down the patriarchy by taking her clothes off in a body positive burlesque, pole dance and drag performance and classes around California Bay area and beyond. She is currently developing her first one woman burlesque show which combines body positivity, feminism and cultural analysis with Broadway musicals. She currently teaches body positive burlesque classes in person in the San Francisco Bay area and over Skype. She's also a body positive wellness coach who gives talks and workshops on body image, media literacy, behavioral economics and was previously the host of the recovery podcast, Finding Our Hunger. You can learn more about Kyla at performingwoman.com. So I've been following Kyla's podcast, Finding Our Hunger for a while now, and she is one of the many people that I've been following in the body positive industry, um, who kind of helped me along my journey from recovery to discovery, and which is something that Kyla talks a lot about. And it's discovering who you really are once you move away from the identity that is your eating disorder or your disordered eating and yo-yo dieting. And in the fitness industry as well, this pursuit of the quote-unquote perfect body. Once you get rid of all of that, you then have to live real life and discover who you really are. Because these things take up a lot of time, a lot of brain space. And that can become your identity. And when you lose something that is such a big part of you, you can feel a little bit lost. But as Kyla says, that's the fun part because that's where you discover who you really are. And so I was really excited to speak to Kyla, find out all the work that she's up to at the moment. And um, I asked her to take us right back to her journey and how she first started out and got into the work that she's doing right now. Yeah, so um, (laughs) it's kind of a long story. Um, So I always put that out as a disclaimer and I try to tell the shortest possible version, but it's, it's a long one because most of us who've been doing the body image work and dealing with that, um, you know, we, (laughs) we've been doing this for a long time, right? Uh, I'm sure people out there listening have been struggling with their bodies for as long as they can remember most likely. And I can say that that is certainly the case for me. Um, you know, I started, um, restricting when I was 13 years old and I didn't, I wasn't doing it consciously. This was back before Instagram, believe it or not. So this is, you know, like before people really had a way of like performing health for one another. Um, I stopped, uh, eating certain foods and started restricting my food specifically because I thought I had a food allergy. And I think a lot of us in, um, who end up on this journey do so because they think they're doing it to be healthy. Um, so what happened was I thought I had a food allergy. I stopped eating all the foods that it contained um, or that were con- that contained what I was allergic to and what I was allergic to supposedly was soy. Soy is in processed food. So I stopped eating processed food and I went from being this kind of chubby, not really, but just like a little bit of a chubby, you know, uh, baby, basically. I was, you know, a sixth grader or seventh grader rather going into eighth grade. And then by the end of the summer, I was you know, thin for the first time in my life. And not only was I thin, I was going through puberty. 
And not only was I going through puberty, but uh, I, for the first time, had male attention. And I'm a heterosexual um, cis female, so um, having a boy like me was a big deal. Um, and so, and not only did I have male attention, I also had praise from family members who had never said anything nice about me ever. Um, instead they, you know, usually like to insult me because I like to spend my time reading and sitting in the house and, you know, being smart, God forbid. Um, so, um, yeah, I suddenly I had all this attention, all of this positive reinforcement and, I, you know, woke up one day and I just said, you know, whatever I'm doing, I should be doing this more. I should be doing it better because obviously it's working. Yeah. And I think for most of us, that's what happens is we accidentally find validation in places where we didn't know it was going to happen. And it feels so good and so different because, you know, maybe our job or our family or our partners or whoever, like people aren't you know, they're not celebrating us. They're not validating us. They're, they're making us feel badly. And suddenly we can control their emotions with our bodies. And so, um, so I did that and I dropped down to a very, very dangerous weight, but because it wasn't dangerous enough, I guess nobody said anything. Um, everyone just said, God, you're so healthy. You eat salad without dressing. You're so healthy oh, you're not having dinner and just eating peanut butter. You're so healthy, right? Um, so that was how it started. And I kind of yo-yoed back and forth. Um, I, I became a cross-country runner. Um, and, you know, that, of course, used that to control my weight as well. And suddenly I was not just running once a day, I was running twice a day. And I was running with the boys instead of running with the girls just so that I could get to those faster speeds and have somebody to push me, even though it was August in South Florida and so hot and humid that you felt like you were going to die. Um, and then after that, I became a binge eater in college and, and gained a ton of weight until my mom told me that I had gotten fat and that, you know, my favorite line, and I'll never, ever forget it. She said, um, oh, I looked like you when I was your age, but at least you know better. <laughs> um, and at the time, my family was doing isogenics, which is, um, like a multi-level marketing cleanse thing. So, um, I got on isogenics and I started restricting again. I was doing cleanses, which, uh, I gained five pounds and also a lot of headaches and was miserable and starving. <laughs> so that sucked. Um, but from there, um, I relapsed with anorexia when I went, uh, when I switched colleges and then, um, and also exercise addiction as well. And then became a teacher and started binging again. And then, you know, I met a guy. <laughs> and this is where everything got kind of, um, it's basically where, where my journey ended and began. So I met a guy who was a personal, well, he was, he was into gym stuff, you know, like he was in the army. And so he was very into fitness. And when he came out of the army, he took that with him. And he was very into like, um, men's health and yeah. all of the like fitness magazines and, um, you know, following those plans where it tells you like how to eat the best seven foods. And so he'd eat them all in one bowl. 
Um, because obviously if they're the best seven foods that you're supposed to eat every day, then you just put them in a bowl and eat them and then you'll be healthy forever. Um, and so I went from being what was, you know, deemed a cardio bunny to lifting weights. And, um, he and I went to separate schools, uh, for our graduate degrees. And he had shown me before I, before we kind of separated to go our, to go to our separate schools. Um, he had shown me a picture of his favorite fitness model. And so I immediately looked her up, found her workouts, found her food plan. And I started following it, trying to look like her by the time that I saw him again in November. And while I didn't look like her, um, and was so absolutely just like, I didn't want him to see me, didn't want him to touch me, didn't want him to be disappointed in me because I knew that you only get validation for your body when you do it right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I broke up with him, but I basically married myself to the gym and I, I committed myself to becoming a bodybuilder, to becoming, you know, a figure competitor. And, um, I ended up dropping out of my graduate degree to be a personal trainer which was maybe the dumbest thing I ever did. Um, but it got me to where I am. So I guess it was supposed to happen, but, (laughs) um, but being surrounded by the gym all the time by people who constantly were commenting and, um, telling me how good I looked and how perfect my body was and, um, the whole shebang, you know, it was just like, well, I have no reason to change now, mind you, I was suicidally depressed and, um, Literally, when I wasn't at the gym, I would spend the entire day standing in my kitchen with the Food Network on, reading healthy living blogs, and only eating at my timed meals. Um, I would bake all day long so that other people could eat and I could watch them eat it. Do you think Um, maybe at that time were you suffering with orthorexia? Oh, 150%. Because here's the thing. I wasn't anorexic. You know, an anorexic is restricting to the point where they're basically not eating. Mm -hmm. I was orthorexic. I ate six times a day. It's just that I was eating under 1200 calories and, um, obsessing about the purity of my food. Yeah. But what happened is that that orthorexia tipped into anorexia when I developed the symptoms of anorexia and I, and I stopped getting my period. Um, so even though, um, my actions were orthorexic, the physiological result was anorexic. And so, um, I was diagnosed with anorexia and I realized that something had to change, but it didn't change right away. You know, I was not put into outpatient patient or inpatient treatment because I didn't have a job. (laughs) So I couldn't afford it because it's not really affordable in the U S and I'm not, I'm sure it's probably the same in the UK. Um, they don't really pay for treatment here. Um, insurance doesn't really want people to recover. And what happens is even when they do go to treatment, the second they hit the minimum BMI requirement, they're kicked out. They're not covered. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't go to treatment um, in that sense, because um, I probably would have continued relapsing, thinking that, you know, the only thing that I can do is recover. And what happens is, you know, I think we get obsessed in recovery or, Um, whether you're recovering from an actual eating disorder or from disordered eating, which comes from years of bodybuilding or fad dieting, or it's not a diet, it's a lifestyling, you know? Um, and what happens is we get caught in this cycle of kind of like doing it over and over and over again. And I found that I was recovered, but I was only recovered enough, like enough to be like 
mostly okay, but like I still needed to know where my next meal was coming from. I still couldn't leave the house without a snack. I still was constantly trying to like get my body back or be ancestrally lean or go on a vegan juice cleanse just to quote unquote reset myself. Mm -hmm. I was constantly doing these behaviors that were still performing help because I felt like the only way that I could get validation and hope and help was if people saw my body and said that is a good thing right it's so Um, true and I think I've lived like that for a long time within the fitness industry and when you're surrounded by so many other fitness professionals they're all doing exactly the same thing you don't even know that what you're doing is a disordered behavior because it just is the same as everyone else mm -hmm. exactly and that's the thing is like at what point has are we so normalized in disorder that not having a diet, not following a meal plan, not trying to change your body is the disorder, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so that's kind of where, um, where I'm struggling with a lot of the, the coaching and things that I do, mostly just because my, my clients believe that at the end of the day, and this is, this is like where we get down to the meat of it and where the real change happens, is when we accept that going back into the paradigm that we left isn't useful, isn't helping. Um, and that having this need to be thin, um, having that suddenly not be your need anymore, have that suddenly uh, not mean so much to you anymore. And the question is, how do you do that, right? How do you make that need suddenly go away? How do you um, get to a point where you feel like, well, my body is my body, whatever? Yeah, exactly. When you when you live in a world where the media tells us that mm -hmm. being thin is better and being fat is unhealthy for you. Yeah. And it's not even just the media anymore. Um, because what's happened is that and you know, I, I'm sure you're, you're probably very aware of this. Um, but like, you and I and everyone in the world, we're suddenly a personal brand, right? We're suddenly like everybody here has their own brand and every, like if you have a podcast, right, you have a following mm -hmm. and, um, and you influence that following with your identity and your identity, should you buy into the main paradigm, right? Um, your identity is also a way of marketing to people that thin is a good thing. And I did this for years. Um, so it's not like, you know, I'm some kind of like special unicorn who never bought into this. But like my brand was about eating paleo and it was about how to be ancestrally lean and healthy and get rid of your acne and like all of this stuff eating paleo. Turns out none of those things were solved by paleo. What was solved was, well, I, I mean, I ate more fat for the first time in a long time, but that was it, you know? Um, my, and when my brand stopped being about my body, that's when things changed. Um, but like we influence one another as well. And we create, we help create the same narrative that we've internalized from the media. And that's, what's so scary about the world right now mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, most of my clients tend to be people who have been developing a brand, who are personal trainers, who are nutritionists or holistic nutritionists or health coaches who've quit their jobs because people have trusted them to say, you can make your body thin or you can keep your body thin or you can make it lean or strong, whatever word you want to use to describe thin, that's fine, right? 
Um, but our brands influence each other and they influence us. Um, when we have brands, this becomes the most dangerous thing, I think, because yes, the media can tell you things all day long, but if you say, you know, screw the media, like I, I, I don't care what the media says, that's one thing. But when people pay you, um, or when people like you, or when people follow you for the way you look and that changes or the way that you behave, the way that you perform health for them, when that changes, people riot, they reject you. They, you know, and that doesn't mean that they will a hundred percent, like everybody will. A lot of times people are like, Oh, the thing you said resonates with me too. And I will continue to follow you. That, that definitely happened when I stopped being paleo. But, um, you know, like the, the balanced blonde who used to be the blonde vegan got death threats when she stopped eating vegan. So like there's a, there's yeah. a real fear for people of letting go of their personal brand. And in addition to that, there's a real financial, you know, issue because, you know, people don't want to hear about health at every size. Like there's a small niche of us who do. Um, but you know, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a horrible story actually. Uh, so I was, um, at a burlesque festival this past weekend, I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, I know it was this past weekend. Um, but I was talking to a woman who has an eating disorder and it was one that she basically developed by becoming a bodybuilder. And she and I were talking about how awful it was to eat like the same meal over and over and over again and how restrictive and how, but how you only do it because people tell you how good you are. And while we were having this very conversation, one of the other dancers heard, oh, chicken and asparagus and was like, oh, my God, you're so good. I could never do that. And it was just like complete proof that of everything that we had talked about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, it blew my mind because I wanted to say to her, did you listen to nothing else in this whole conversation (laughs) and just chip in to say that chicken and asparagus is good for you? Like, please. But it's probably because she had those blinkers on. Because I remember when I was doing that, I actually had a dream Mm -hmm. that my daughter's got Afro hair. And in my Mm -hmm. dream, her Afro hair was like broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't think of anything else but food. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's basically, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, we become obsessed as a culture with this idea of performing healthy. And we have we have given it so much privilege and given it so much clout that we forget that, you know, there are other things in this world that you can be valued for. And that for me was really the turning point um, is when I found out that, um, first of all, if you're hanging out with people um, who only like you because you eat chicken and asparagus, then, um, they're jerks and you don't need them in your life. You know, like you have the choice to break up with friends and I, that's, it's hard because, you know, they feel like they're so important to you, but like literally if somebody would stop talking to you because you didn't have a six pack, they're a jerk and you don't need them in your life. Um, you know, and that was a huge, Go from the paleo woman to then the Mm -hmm. paradigm shift and seeing things in a different way. Because I think a lot of people want to embark on this journey, but then get to the point where they need to then let go of their ideal body and accept Mm -hmm. that they may, their body may change or put on fat. And I, especially, I know I've been through that journey myself and struggle Mm -hmm. with every time my body changes because I accepted the first change and then it changes again and then it changes again. And, and it's, it's a journey, an ongoing journey. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, I guess for me, 
it was not worrying about the body part, <laughs> um, which I know for a lot of people is like, well, but that's literally impossible because I only know how to worry about my body, right? Um, you know, that's what we've been taught. That's what we focus on. That's what we've been doing for years and years and years with being trainers and being bodybuilders and do lifting weights and eating healthy. Like we, that's all we know how to focus on. So what I started doing, um, I did two things concurrently. The first thing is I started doing what I call discovery, um, rather than recovery because recovery really is just like still a focus on food and fitness. It's more just about like how you're nourishing your body and how you're moving your body. It was like, I don't even want to think about it anymore. So I literally deleted every single app, every single podcast, every single blog in my RSS. I wanted nothing to do with healthy living and clean eating and paleo and all of that. I just got rid of it. I was like done. Okay. That might mean losing friends. And I had to deal with that fact, but I just did it and I didn't care. Um, and then I started focusing on what else was interesting for me. What else might I want to do? And so I said, okay, well, I like comedy. So I started putting comedy podcasts on my, on my phone instead of fitness and, and exercise ones. And then when I was listening to them, I've discovered other ones. And one of the ones I discovered actually led me to go back to taking voiceover lessons. So I started going to voiceover classes and driving to the city and meeting friends who do voiceover. And so that was pretty cool because they didn't care what my body looked like, um, you know. And so that was and they didn't care if I had dressing on my salad or not because they weren't there for that. They were there for voiceover. And so then I started dating again. And, you know, someone took me on a date to a burlesque show and I went to go see a, this show where women of every size and shape and color and ability were on stage and doing this thing where they were being, you know, hooted and hollered at and, and cheered. And it didn't matter that they didn't have a six pack because they were sexy and owning it and so happy. And I said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I went looking for burlesque classes and I didn't find them. I found pole dance classes instead where I lived. Um, but then, um, you know, after that, um, I did find burlesque and I did start performing up in the city. Um, and so I just, I, I focused on things that didn't have to do with my body. Now, concurrent with that, I also started really focusing on intersectional feminism, um, and health at every size. And what I mean by that is I started going out and educating myself about paradigms outside of the ones that I knew and believed in. Um, you know, I started deliberately challenging myself deliberately because um, I also have a podcast. And so I would deliberately invite guests on, um, especially at the beginning, who had different experiences, who weren't coaches, who weren't fitness people. Because you know what? A lot of the fitness people in the world, they have the same messaging. And even when they say they're body positive, they're body positive as long as you stay thin um, or they use body positivity as a way to sell weight loss. Yeah. which isn't a thing. I'm finding um, that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I, I do not accept that. Um, especially because it's co-opting a very important political and social movement, um, you know, to make it a marketing tool for weight loss, which just pisses me off to no end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I started talking to people who describe themselves as intersectional feminists. I started asking professors who do research on health at every size, um, 
you know, I, I started bringing on people who have different experiences in their body than I do. Um, and, you know, and especially, you know, trying to seek people of color to come onto the show because, you know, as a white feminist, I have a lot of things to learn about being an intersectional feminist. Um, and honestly, I know that that is a, you know, feminism is a term that a lot of people immediately are like, ah, I am not a feminist. I just believe that everybody is equal. And it's like, then yeah, you're, <laughs> you're a feminist, but it's not, it's more than everybody is equal. There are different experiences and some people have more privilege than others. And how does that affect the experience that you have in the world? And how, can well, I just ask, how does it work though, being a, a feminist, but also somebody who performs on stage in like a sexualized manner and takes your mm -hmm. clothes off? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that it's, um, they're not, they are not um, mutually exclusive. In fact, for me, so when I go on stage as a person who takes her clothes off on stage, what I'm doing is I'm not doing it for the titillation of the audience, right? I'm not doing it under duress and I'm not doing it because, you know, my body is a transaction. I'm doing it because I have a body and I refuse to be shamed for it. Mm -hmm. um, I do it because I feel like it gives me agency in this world where, you know, the female body is, is because it is sexualized, right? And I say female as a shorthand for I was born with a vagina. I am a woman, I, you know, I am a cis woman. I identify as a cis woman. Um, but like that body has been sexualized. So people automatically assume that as soon as it doesn't have clothes on it, it is about sex. Right. Um, and that is what has been used to keep women, you know, basically controlled and, um, you know, lesser in society. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, God forbid you show up somewhere with cleavage, you lose all credibility. So I'm taking that back and I'm saying, no, I have credibility and cleavage. I have credibility and boobs. Right. I can move in a sexy way and you can still respect me. Um, and that's kind of how I see it anyway. Um, you know, I know within the feminist movement, there are different branches. There are people who see pole dance as, you know, this horrible thing where we're, um, you know, appropriating stripperdom and therefore, uh, just playing into the patriarchy. And then, you know, there are people like Lux ATL, who is, um, a feminist stripper with a PhD who has been stripping since she's 18 and she is the most feminist person I know. So, you know, um, it really just, it kind of depends on where you come from within the movement. So just going back a little bit to, to weight <laughs> and health at every size. So you were, I asked you lastly about your paradigm shift from being the paleo person to a health at every size body positive activist. Mm -hmm. um, but when, at which point did you like read the book health at every size and how did it, the book or people are around the book and, and in the um, body positive movement, make mm -hmm. that shift change in your head? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I think so, you know, those people who've been following along with my podcast um, for years and years um, may have found that there was kind of an abrupt shift. And I guess it was last year, I want to say like last June, but I had been kind of making that shift starting the like November before. Um, 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 
you know, basically when I started discovery, um, which I guess my discovery started like the, the June of 2014 was when I started doing the voiceover stuff. Um, and you know, I don't remember it being like this abrupt, like, Oh, this is the thing, but rather slowly, slowly getting the sneaking suspicion that I was wrong. Um, and that the people who I knew who were body positive, but also weight suppressed were maybe wrong. Um, because and I like, see it like, I don't know if you know the film, The Matrix, but there's mm-hmm. the part in the film where all the people are plugged in and then um, mm-hmm. Neo gets the opportunity to have either the red pill or the blue pill. And then yeah. one of them obviously gives you the truth. And I feel like for me, that book was my truth. Yeah. And But then I kind of felt a bit angry with the fitness industry and just wanted to give everybody else the same pill so they could just see what I saw. Yeah. How yeah. did you feel that that happened for you? Yeah. Well, like I said, it was a slow process for me where I, I started doing research and, you know, I, I'll actually, I'll be honest. Um, when I first started hearing about, um, Alan Levinovitz's book, um, the gluten lie was really when I, I think for me was the moment where I'm like, all right, you know, screw this. I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) You know, and it wasn't about health at every size. It was more about the health stuff that I had believed. Um, but I think it was it was coming for a long time where I was slowly getting more and more angry, where like I'd listen to paleo podcasts and just be so bored with them because they were so repetitive. And so like, why do we have to be thin? Like, I, I just didn't understand. Like, what? Why do we have to optimize our health? Why do I have to take nootropic drugs? Why do I have to, you know, buy your, you know, go through your Amazon link to buy more supplements to, or exercise things and read more studies about all. And it just like, it was exhausting. I was exhausted. And that was when I was like, all right, this is wrong. I think Harriet Brown's book actually was, uh, I read before Linda Pagan's book, believe it or not. Um, and Harriet Brown wrote a book. Um, and now I'm blanking on the name. Hold on. (laughs) Um, body of truth. Sorry. I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so body of body of truth was like one was, I think, the last straw for me where it was suddenly like, here's the science behind it and the studies and everything where that say that all these things that I believe aren't real anymore um, and that they are a lie. And I, I hear you so much on the anger because I feel like so many of us when we're going through from recovered enough to like what next? we go through the stages of grief, right? Yeah. You know, we go through all of the stages of grief. We do, we're in denial. No, I know, I know that, that the thing I believe is, is real. And we get angry, right? It's like, I hate everyone who even, how did they teach us this? How can't, why can't they just see? And then when they leave like a snotty comment on your blog or your Facebook, you're just like, I just want to like burn the world down because it, and start over because everybody's wrong. Right. (laughs) And you know, we, we go through periods of sadness. We go through periods of mourning. Um, and we have to go through those periods. We have to go through all of this. Because it is a grieving process. We're losing a huge piece of our identities when we decide not to buy into the matrix anymore, right? I was just going to say that, that that, for me, it was my identity. And as you touched Mm -hmm. on at the beginning, my website is still partly the old me. And I haven't Mm -hmm. managed to change it yet, which I really hate because I don't want anybody bumping into it and seeing that it's got the wrong message, which is what I Mm -hmm. once believed. Mm Mm-hmm. It's exactly it. And the thing is, I bet you there's still 
tons of traffic to your website of people looking for weight loss stuff. And you know, what's going to happen is when you change over and it's not bad anymore, you're going to lose a ton of traffic. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with your identity, not being based on the amount of people who validate you by clicking. Yeah. But I took, um, I chose to take that pill now so there's no going back I'm unplugged (laughs) which is a really good thing which is a really good thing um and I'm glad to hear that you know I I think what happens is like you know for me like the the blog posts that still get the most hits out of everything on my website is stuff about acne and natural hormone cures and I leave it I leave that stuff there on my blog because it's not body shaming um but it is, it just is, I don't want to cover up the fact that this is something I believed in the past. And I would rather people be able to know that, that I believed this and I no longer believe it. And so I always make sure to answer comments and say, Hey, check out the more recent stuff on my blog. This is not something I believe anymore. I take thyroid medication for my acne (laughs) because that was what helped, (laughs) you know, because I had a thyroid problem, not a you know, lack of restrictive elimination diet problem. Yeah, it's you know. interesting though, as you said in the beginning about losing weight and everybody um, applauding you for that. And I think mm-hmm. when you do something like bodybuilding, you get so much respect from people. So in mm-hmm. a way, keeping up your old pictures and things, you get the respect from people and then they see what you're doing now and they think you're letting yourself go and you're promoting obesity mm-hmm. and, and they're mm-hmm. just in this black and white thinking and they just can't see that there's any other way out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have to make a decision. Do you care about these people's opinion? And if the answer is yes, then you have to ask why. Because here's the deal, um, promoting obesity and blah, blah, like that is uh, a BS thing. It mm-hmm. just, it's BS. Um, you know, look, health at every size, and I'm sure that ha- having read it, you understand, you know, health at every size is not about promoting sickness. It's about being okay with the fact that some bodies don't lose weight the way other bodies do. And that, um, health is one thing and weight is a side effect of that thing. Um, weight doesn't affect people in the same way. I I like to use this analogy. Um, so if you were to take depression medication, what is depression medication for? For depression. yeah, right. The goal is to get rid of depression. So to to fix your mental health, right, or to manage your mental health. Um, now, what happens when you take depression medication, though? Well, some people get side effects. A lot of people do. Not everybody, but some people, right? And of those side effects, do all of the people get the same side effects? No, right? Some people, you know, some people gain weight. Some people get headaches. Some people... Um, feel brain fog. Some people have X, Y, Z, right? Um, and from there, does everybody get the side effect for the same amount of time? No. Does everybody get the side effects in the same amount of, um, you know, intensity? No. So when you think about it, weight is kind of like a side effect of, you know, engaging in healthy, non-restrictive behaviors. Um, and so, you know, some people, when they, when they change their diet and, you know, move a little bit more, they will lose weight. Some people won't. Some people will lose weight faster than others. Some people will gain weight. 
Some people will lose weight uh, really quickly at the beginning and then stop. And so we have to understand that we can't treat the side effect like some kind of goal, some kind of outcome. Um, and so when you try to make weight into or body size or shape or leanness or muscularity or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, when you make that into a goal, you then have to control things to the point where you then move into restriction and overexercise. Um, because if you want to ensure that an outcome happens, you sometimes have to work against what would naturally happen. And that's where you know that things are going off the rails. Um, so like if you have to follow a plan in order to make your body do something, that's not a healthy thing that you're doing. That's a weight thing that you're doing. And no matter whether you call it body positive or not, um, if you're changing your diet and you know, you're just eating healthier and not restricting and like being okay with having a chocolate chip cookie every so often, or, you know, and not calling it a cheat cause there's nothing you're cheating on. Right. Um, I think people yeah. like to have labels for things. Oh, they do. Even they do. having intuitive eating is just eating really, isn't it? But now that it has a label of intuitive eating, people can call it the intuitive eating diet and then it has mm -hmm. rules again and then it's just another plan. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that it, this is the hardest thing that we'll ever work on because we've lost intuition. You know, humans, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, didn't need to know, you know, didn't need a plan because there wasn't like, it was just the food was there or it wasn't right. Like even up to fairly recently. And the problem is, you know, we do live in a world where everything is available. And then we also have everybody writing on Dr. Google about how to, you know, how to eat, how to do it, how to get this outcome. Um, and so it, when you've gotten to a point where you're so used to Googling it and searching for the answers that you don't know how to find it within yourself anymore because um, you can't trust yourself because, you know, God forbid you do it wrong, quote unquote, right? God forbid you have people say that you're bad for doing this, right? Yeah. And ostracize you from the group. And I've just gotten okay with being ostracized. I just don't care. Um, and what I found is that, you know, I have a lot less stress. I can go out to eat with my boyfriend and not know where we're going before. So I don't plan my meals beforehand and I can leave the house without a snack and know that I can find food pretty much anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm very fortunate enough to not live in a food desert. Like, you know, understanding that, that it's not as complicated as we want it to be. Um, is it takes a long time to unlearn that, you know? So how long has this journey been for you till you really felt comfortable and standing strong in the ground that you're standing in? I would say, I mean, in the last, the last two years was really where things solidified for me. Um, you know, while I was paleo, I was still learning how to, um, how to be body positive or whatever. Um, but it was really in the last two years when I just started rejecting the idea that there was a plan that I needed to follow and that, um, you know, that, that I was somehow better if I was ancestrally lean, I was somehow proving that I was doing it right. Um, and really when I started getting involved in intersectional feminism, burlesque, um, and body positivity and body acceptance. So do you still have triggers now? Um, not as much. I'll, I'll be super honest. I just, I'm so bored by it now. 
<laughs> I know. I know that sounds weird and crazy, but I'm just so bored by the idea of being triggered. Like it just, so part of what happens is I think a lot of us, especially when we're really in it, you know, we're really doing the work and we're really focused on it. We can kind of convince ourselves that we need those triggers, right? Um, you know, when you're not dealing with the mental health issue aspect of it, and it's just the disordered behaviors, I think it's very easy to convince ourselves that we're triggered, that we have to react in a certain way. And it's gotten to the point, especially in the last year where I just like, I don't have time for it. I don't, I don't care. I don't care if somebody else is eating quote unquote healthier than me. I'm still going to order the French fries because I want them, you know, like, I, d- I just don't care. It's it's difficult when I see somebody that I love um, engaging in the behaviors, and it's mostly triggering in that I remember how awful it felt and want to help them. Yeah. Um, so it triggers that anger and that fear that you were talking about earlier, that like, why can't I just make everybody do it? Yeah. <laughs> just everybody read Linda Pagan's book and we'll be done, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and that, that part can be it can trigger that anger, but it doesn't, I don't want to restrict. I don't want that anymore. I don't care. You know, like I haven't, I didn't even exercise all week cause I've been doing podcast episodes in the morning and my only time to exercise is in the morning. And I just don't care. You know, like I, I am, I'm my body at this point. So I don't know if you saw on Facebook, I, I posted a video, I guess yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm at the point where my body is basically failing me. Um, I have chronic pain in my ankle from exercise addiction. I've screwed up my wrists from trying to prove that I was the best pole dancer. And now I have a heart condition called POTS where it, I, every time I stand up, I get dizzy. Um, and I've been dealing with horrible stomach issues and um, sleep issues and headaches and nausea. And it's all from this syndrome. And at this point, I just want to be able to get through the day and go to my burlesque shows. And I I work for an online publication and write about all the fun things that are happening in my area. And like, I just want to come home and spend time with my boyfriend. And like, I don't care about what, whether or not there was protein powder in my cookie, Mm -hmm. you know, like I just, I'm over it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I asked I you think... about triggers because I had this conversation with a friend, Zoe McNulty, who's also on this journey now, but she mm-hmm. she didn't have an eating disorder or any disordered eating. And so for me, trigger is, you know, something that relates to your disorder and mm-hmm. can either bring you back mentally or physically right back there. And she said for her, triggers could just be like the media or society in mm-hmm. making her feel like that she needs to change her body in order to fit in. Ah, well, so here's the thing. Nobody makes you do anything. That's what I've realized and I've accepted. Yes, the media can show you a way that other people might want you to be and you can choose to accept it or not and I don't accept it anymore. And that is, it takes a really long time to get there. Like don't, you know, this is like five years since I, five years, six years, something, yeah, almost six years, like since the whole anorexia thing. So, I mean, this is, it's taken a really long time, but I think being on board with intersectional feminism and now being a speaker, like, so I, I give talks on, um, marketing psychology and media literacy. And I, you know, we, we have a choice. Like, yes, we are presented with these images like millions of times a day at this point, right? We're presented with these thoughts and, and, um, 
paradigms, but that doesn't mean we have to accept it. And I think it's gotten, I've gotten to the point anyway, where I just, I am so bored by it all. I'm like, great, another thin model. Have a nice day. I, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me. Like, great. Somebody posted Fitzbo. Sorry for them. Guess their life is going to suck and be miserable. You know, like I just don't have the energy for it anymore because I have so many things I want to do. And you know, there's, I, I want to be able to go and have that mental energy for all of the other stuff that like, if I spend time thinking about it and being triggered by it and sitting in the feeling badness, then it just, it, I, I won't have any time to do anything else. Um, and again, this is a journey. This takes so much time. Like I said, two years of just like really immersing myself in health at every size and body positivity and in acceptance, right? Size acceptance, fat acceptance, body acceptance, um, doing burlesque where I literally have like a hands-on experience of not being shamed for what my body looks like. Um, you know, all of that has helped so immensely, but um, I think getting through that period of mourning, right, getting through that period of grief helps. And when you're in the period of grief, you kind of can't see outside of it because you think that this is all you're ever going to feel, right? You'll only feel sad. You'll only feel angry. You'll only feel in denial. You'll only be bargaining, right? But when you are outside of it, when you finally like put it to rest and said, you know what, I just don't need this anymore. There's like a sigh of relief, a little bit of catharsis, and then you can move on. But it's very hard to see that when you're in it, you know, and it feels unbelievable because you literally have never had that experience. So the only thing you can do is just trust that it will happen. And if you stay on this journey and really focus on not being triggered in the sense of like, um, you know, fo like focus on, you know, when you feel the trigger, ask yourself, what is this doing? How does this serve? How does this serve me? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think for me, I, I am past that stage in the journey, but the, mm -hmm. the hard thing is staying in the fitness industry. But in a way, I, I want to stay because I want to be a different voice in an industry mm -hmm. that everybody's going one way because that it's becoming so extreme now that you're getting, you know, fitness is, you, ha you must be the extreme level of fit. And most people going into gyms now are trying to become bodybuilders now that they have that extra category, the bikini category. Um, mm -hmm. So then it pushes normal people so far away and then they feel that they need to get fit first before they can join a class or come to the gym. So mm -hmm. I feel like I really want to stand in this industry and just be a different voice and make exercise size and shape and ability inclusive. So, you know, everybody is accessible to them. Mm -hmm. Well, so here's the thing, you know, you have to make that decision. Um, and if you do want to be in the fitness industry, you, you have to recognize that it is going to, um, there's a very good possibility that people are not going to respect you if you gain weight or if you um, tell them that they don't have to only eat protein powder, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to be fighting uphill um, because honestly, um, the fitness industry is, not my favorite thing right now. Um, because you know what? So here's the deal. Like up until like the 1970s, people didn't go to the gym. Like that's, here's a, like, like this is a truth. People didn't go to the gym because there weren't gyms because there was no fitness industry because not everybody thought they had to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. 
right? But everyone thinks they have to be an athlete now in order to exercise. And like, you know, if people would go on more walks and go play in the park or take a dance class or like do something fun, right? That is usually enough for a lot of people. But we, because we are, the fitness industry itself says that we have to lose weight by exercising or manage our weight by exercising. Um, you know, it has become this huge thing and people, it's now a place where people have community. It's now a place where people, you know, make friends based on the fact that they're burning this many calories today. Right. So, um, you know, I just, I just want to encourage you to, to, you know, if, if you want to be in the gym, recognize that it's going to be an uphill journey because people, people don't necessarily see the difference between like, you know, healthy movement and being an athlete. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, I don't know if you heard on my podcast episode, Courtney Marshall from black feminist fitness. She's a great resource, um, for, you know, people who are in the fitness industry who are not body shamers, who are health at every size. Um, Jessamine Stanley, who is, um, she does, uh, yoga for everybody. Um, there's Roz Mays, who, um, is a plus size pole dancer and Tasha Ostrander, who's also a plus size pole dancer. Um, people who, uh, got Louise Green, um, who is, she does, uh, is it Louise Green? Uh, she does too fat to run. Um, it's, but all of these people who are, um, outside of, let's see, I'm just like, I'm like going through my Rolodex of people, right. Who are in the, um, in the, the world of fitness who are, you know, they're, they're fighting an uphill battle basically, you know? Um, and every so often somebody like really gets big and, and gets, you know, the love and respect that they deserve, but it's an uphill battle or I'm sorry, Julie, uh, losing my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, I was uh, Julie Crawford. Um, Louise Green does. I have to remember. Anyway, I can send you a list of people. Um, Thank you. I'll check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough because if you stay in the fitness industry, you're going to be surrounded by people who are triggering. I think, you know? well, it's also, for me, the, the trigger is not food or, or losing weight. It's because I do have a bit of an exercise addiction. Um, mm -hmm. And I say a bit because I'm not mentally there anymore. I understand it and I, I make sure I have rest days and I, I manage to have a week off. And I know that's not, <laughs> it's not that long, but for me, it was long to have a week off. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm having my periods again. So I know I've found the balance in terms of exercise and rest days, but it mm -hmm. still triggers me because when I do exercise, cause I teach classes. So I have a routine of doing X amount a week and it always makes me want to do more. Yep. And obviously and so in the gym that's a question for you. Is yeah. it something that is healthy for you? I would, that's what I would ask. I ask this of all my clients. Is it healthy for you to be surrounded by that, to be in that situation? And if the answer is no, what do, what else could you do? And that's what discovery is about. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think especially with exercise addiction, it's like being an alcoholic who works at the bar. Like, is that really a good idea? <laughs> yeah, right? so true. 
So can I ask, because obviously you had exercise addiction, are, are there issues with your body now due to the, directly to the exercise addiction? Um, when you say issues, like, so you mean like injuries and body stuff? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, so first and for foremost, um, uh, you know, I have to, I have to be on thyroid medication. Um, you know, um, that's kind of rough. Um, I have to, uh, deal with chronic pain in my ankle from the injury from when I was running. So I have, um, a, uh, damaged peroneal nerve and a damaged peroneal tendon. Um, and you know, even after the exercise addiction, um, the effects of it, you know, like I don't know when to stop sometimes, even if I'm, it's not like I, even if I'm taking rest days and like doing, you know, doing healthful movement, sometimes when I feel pain, I don't recognize it as a, a stop, you know? And so I, I have a torn, I have a torn tendon in my right wrist and I have a dorsal wrist impingement in both wrists. So I, uh, I'm in pain all the time. Um, you know, so exercise addiction is, it's a really serious thing. Like I stopped getting my period. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, see, I'm only finding out now because I have lots of pains in all of my joints as well. And I've had 10 years without menstruating properly. So mm -hmm. obviously without menstruating, your, your body's not recovering properly and you're not having all those hormones that you're supposed to have on a monthly basis. So now mm -hmm. I'm going under investigations to my bone density and if I have issues with arthritis and things like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really tough because, you know, again, people are like, but I'm so healthy, but I'm so healthy, but I'm so healthy, yeah. but we don't recognize when our bodies are literally breaking down in front of us because we're busy performing the behaviors of health. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we end up with aches and pains and injuries and overuse and strains. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really tough because, you know, but people are like, oh my God, you are so amazing. You went running with a broken knee. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, they're like, I just wish I had your dedication. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. You know, and there are people out there who will literally say when I tell them I'm an exercise addict who like don't take it yeah, seriously. And they're I like, oh, my God, I yeah. wish I had your I <laughs> wish I had your addiction. Oh, my God. And I'm like, no, you don't. And they're like, no, I really do. And I'm like, hi, um, I'm standing here in front of you. If, if I had said I'm an alcoholic, would you say, you know, you wish you had my addiction? Yeah. So true. No. So um, lastly, can I ask what is coming up for you next? Um, yeah, so that's tough. So I've got a lot going on. Um, so as of right now, I am uh, about to launch my first program um, on recovery and discovery. So basically, it's not for people who are like actively in the mental health part of their eating disorder like that you need to be working with a therapist for, but for people who are recovered enough who feel like they're like, okay, I'm like sort of body positive and I'm getting there. And I'm emotionally stable most of the time, but I still get really triggered, you know, and I still kind of can't stop exercising and I still base my entire identity on my food, my fitness, et cetera, or I'm in the process of separating from it, but I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. That's what, that's who the program is for. Um, you know, if you need a therapist, please work with your therapist. And if you're working with a therapist, please ask them if it's okay to do the program. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, so my, my program, um, is an eight week program. It launches, um, October 9th. So people have until midnight on October 8th to sign up. Um, and so that is actually going to be the last program that I do. I'm actually stepping away from coaching for a little while because I realize that for my own emotional health, I need to focus on the stuff that I were in the world where I know I can make the biggest difference. Um, and for me, that difference is also for, for my own personal sanity. So, um, I'm going to be producing a feminist one woman burlesque show and I'm doing my very first concert reading in New York city or concert, uh, workshop rather in New York city, uh, throughout the fall and winter. And so I have a GoFundMe if anyone wants to donate to help me make that happen. Um, and I'm also, um, going to be traveling and, and performing in burlesque shows and producing my own shows, uh, around California and around the U S as of right now. Um, although if anyone wants to bring me over to the UK, I'm totally happy yeah. to do that. <laughs> I was um, going to say everything's in the U S it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are, there are burlesque festivals in the UK that I will apply to. So, you know, <laughs> well, do let us know if you're coming over and we'll be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's your website? Um, so my website is uh, performingwoman.com. That's where you can find out all the things about me. Um, and um, I'm also on social media at Performing Woman for everything. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all at Performing Woman. Um, and you'll be able to find out what's going on in my world. Brilliant. And I just had a quick read of your email that you sent, your um, like your bio, which I'm going to add on at the end. But you mm -hmm. said you're you're no longer doing your podcast. Is that true? It is. It is. I had to take a break. Um, again, you know, mental and emotional health was a big thing. And because I am doing so much um, and because I, you know, I am having so many health issues right now um, that, you know, aren't affecting me because of my weight or my exercise. They actually, these are health issues. Um that come from stress. Um, and so I, I needed to step away from the podcast because unfortunately you can't make money with podcasts unless you have something like weight loss to sell. Um, that's basically what I'm discovering. Um, so I, I love doing the podcast. It's one of my favorite things on the planet. Um, but it, I needed to cut something out and I had to cut the one thing that was making it difficult for me to like feed myself. So, <laughs> Yeah. You know, you got yeah. to put your health first. Yeah. But thank you so much for taking the time today to speak to me. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you. And you. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, foodstallfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at foodstallfit.co.uk.